Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. In today's episode, I interview Tracy McNeil, CEO of Materna Medical. Materna Medical is a pelvic floor health company that has raised millions in fundings from investors and grants. They have two products. One is called Millie, M-I-L-L-I, which is a consumer product, and then PrEP, which is a medical device still in clinical trials. What these devices do is essentially a yoga stretch for the vagina and the pelvic floor. Because did you know vaginal atrophy is five times more common than erectile dysfunction? I know I paused there because I'm even so shocked by these numbers. So vaginal atrophy is essentially the vagina and the pelvic floor being so tight that a woman feels um, discomfort, specifically during sex. And this is five times more common than erectile dysfunction. Millie is a consumer product which is available on their e-commerce website, millieforher.com. And what it does is essentially slowly dilates the vagina and, and stretches it out to make the woman comfortable again. These women are suffering on average for five years. They see three physicians on average that cannot help them. This is a very, very prevalent and pervasive issue. Their PrEP device is a medical device, like I said, still going through clinical trials, but this one is so interesting. It's helping prevent injuries during vaginal childbirth. So women that give vaginal childbirth, the cervix and pelvic floor get stretched out so much that women for years suffer from incontinence, prolapse, and tearing from the vagina to the anus. So these devices are so important. And Tracy does a great job of walking us through the you know, products and why this is so prevalent and important for women today in femtech. Enjoy. Well, Tracy, I I actually don't remember how I first got introduced to you, but I know I sent you an email saying, hi, I'm really interested in femtech and you're in it. Can I talk to you? And you were so (laughs) kind. You're like, yeah, let's jump on a phone call. (laughs) Totally talk. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what my plan is, but I love femtech. What should I do? (laughs) I think maybe we met uh, when I was down in Houston for the Ignite pitch competition. Maybe that that was it. Maybe the, the fire pitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, I was like, I love what you do. Talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it was maybe God, almost six months ago or something. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to build yet, but I have to do something. And and I'm so grateful. You are a very busy woman with this amazing company, <laughs> Materna Health, and so um, or Materna Medical, excuse me. Um, you know, trying to figure out my path in femtech. So I, I've been so grateful for your, your guidance in this industry. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, I, th- I feel like we're all learning together. It's, there's so much to do in femtech that, um, lots to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's get into it. Tracy, tell us about your background. Right. So I am uh, a recovering engineer, chemical <laughs> engineer, training, and I, I started in pharmaceuticals back in the day. We had, um, a wonderful five-year run with Merck and went all over the world. Um, not in sales or marketing, but like in, with the hard hat and boots, you know, like Whoa. in the factory making, making medicine. Um, but I did get some um, opportunity to uh, launch some new products there. And I, that's where I really got my passion for commercialization. I love bringing new things to market mm-hmm. and um, got my MBA in there somewhere too. And just have had a wonderful time um, going from, um, pharmaceuticals to devices and um, most recently got to join Materna Medical as the CEO Mm -hmm. here and um, about a year ago Uh, and it's been such a pleasure to work in femtech I'm so excited where did you grow up I grew up in Chapel Hill North Carolina I'm a southerner oh my gosh that's awesome yeah, my um, actually, it's funny because I got my MBA at Duke, uh, coincidentally, but the whole reason I grew up in North Carolina was because my grandfather was a professor there and uh, relocated oh. the family 
there. Um, but by the time I got, I got to Duke, I was doing the executive program. I had two little kids and was living in upstate New York and did their global program and went all over the world with them too. I mean, it was an amazing program. Oh my God. Such a gift. I love uh, Chapel Hill and Raleigh. I actually uh, applied to grad school at UNC and I didn't get in. I hope you can hear me, UNC. (laughs) (laughs) I think you missed out. (laughs) But I love that area. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's super. I mean, UNC is a great school. Um, uh, We actually have Duke University waiting to join our clinical trial, we hope. So um, we're hoping to um, have a have a location. Uh, in the, in the RTP, which would give me a beautiful opportunity to go back and visit family and um, help help some women in that area too. So, and where are you located now? I live in the Bay area in California. So I'm like fully living the Silicon Valley startup lifestyle. You are. (laughs) Did you move there for Materna medical? I didn't. I got relocated out here with my previous company. Um, they wanted someone to help integrate a couple of acquisitions. They'd made some acquisitions out here. And um, I was in love um, mm. with a man out here in California. And um, it gave us an opportunity to unite our families and and have some fun. It's been it's been really exciting. So I'm, um, I'm not a California native, um, but I am f- really taking the opportunity to soak up all the aspects of living in Silicon Valley for, for, for however long we're here. Yeah. Well, tell us about Materna Medical. I absolutely love what you do. You have a medical device, but you also have a consumer product. So walk us through those. Yeah. Well, so when I, when I first met Materna, I, I, I had never heard of the issues that Materna was addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a pelvic floor company. So, I mean, I had heard of pelvic floors and I knew that women had issues there, but fr- frankly, I didn't really know mm-hmm. how many women were suffering with, uh, with things I had never even really heard of. Um, you know, what I learned was that 50% of women end up with incontinence or prolapse by the time they're 55. Wow. Can you 50%. tell our listeners what incontinence and prolapse are? I sure can. Um, women kind of joke about the incontinence. They'll be like, oh, you know, I, I pee when I run or I, you know, I don't do jumping jacks anymore. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's like if I laugh or if I sneeze, I pee. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that um, that's they'll joke about that because it's so common. Yeah. Um, and for most women, it's not like devastating mm-hmm. at early ages, but is you're nine times more likely to have those those symptoms after a vaginal delivery. OK, nine times. Um, you can get it for other reasons, but it's a very common childbirth injury and, but prolapse, they don't joke about, and it's really devastating. Um, I, I had to actually look up pictures of it. It's, it's essentially when the organs inside fall out of place. So the, the muscles that are like a seatbelt that hold all your stuff in place, yeah. when the baby comes through, those muscles can separate from the bone. And, oh. uh, so the falls out of place that's the little tube where your pee comes out that that's what causes incontinence but the vagina can fall out of place the rectum can fall out of place Mm. things can turn inside out uterus can slide out Mm. and they're devastating symptoms and women can't leave the house um it's actually the number one reason that women are admitted to nursing homes in old age really Wow. So how many, what percentage of women that have a vaginal birth, like have this prolapse, you know, consequence? Well, 20 to 50% of the time women end up with those injuries. It depends on the the literature you're looking at, but we're actually on the front edge of a lot of that research. And the the scientific advisors working with Materna Mm -hmm. are among the first in the world to really associate the childbirth injuries with, um, with these, with these symptoms. Well, Tracy, you are one of our many guests that are innovating something that they know it's a problem. But when I ask the specifics, the answer is we know it's a problem, but we don't know how big because no one's taken the time to really look. And we are doing that. And that makes me, (laughs) you know, excited for you and excited for the new data, but also really pissed off because I'm like, why y'all why are like right. these huge issues and we're still not sure you know it's crazy yeah yeah it's been really incredible for me to learn what the way women make choices when they're at the doctor right like mm. all of us hate going to the doctor men and women everybody hates going to the doctor mm-hmm. right? we would avoid it if we could and the, the last thing that any of us really want to talk about is what's going on below the waist mm-hmm. but women in particular 
mm-hmm. are disinclined to to talk about disorders. And um, and, and it's interesting because so um, just briefly, the, the device that we have in um, development is in its pivotal trial, uh, meaning this will be enough to get FDA clearance um, and oh, be able to bring yeah. it to the market. Uh, it's called PrEP and um, it's a preventative device to try to help women have just more of a yoga stretch on the birth canal before the baby comes through to prevent those injuries. Um, and it's just so interesting. So whenever we talk to women, I would say, it, and actually a lot of our investors are male and they care a lot about their wives mm-hmm. and daughters. And they, um, they always say, where were you when we had our babies? Yeah. Right. They always say that. And it's just so interesting. Women often say, you know, I had no idea yeah. that, that those, those injuries were an issue. I had no idea. Why didn't anybody tell me? And I've been thinking about that. I really take that question to heart. I think that it's that there really, it wasn't anything on the market. There isn't anything on the market mm-hmm. to prevent the injuries in the first place. Mm-hmm. So why would a doctor bring it up? Yeah. So prep is right. essentially like, um, something that stretches out the vagina for before yeah. birth to happen. And that exactly. will prevent, hopefully decrease and you're, you know, doing the trials, right. To get the right percentage, but you'll, you'll see a decrease in the incontinence, hopefully and prolapse. But when I first spoke with you, you also told me about women ripping while they give yeah. childbirth. So can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? And you know, our listeners, if they're, if they're this far into our podcast, they know that we talk (laughs) about the things that are, you know, not necessarily publicly talked about, but this is important. So talk to us. What is, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. I will just as on a personal note, I, I, when I first met Materna, I did have this sort of, um, soul searching moment where I had to decide whether I was going to be the vagina CEO. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, am I going to go? Because like, I spent my whole career, 20 years in healthcare, and I never talked about vaginas at all. Yeah. Like, just in full pleasure. Like, this is new. Wow. But I, what I learned is that there's not enough talking about it. And I'll just go first. You yeah. know, and actually what I've learned is I'm not even remotely first. I'm, there are so many people who are, who are normalizing the conversation mm-hmm. around women's pelvic health. Um, and it's been such a joy to meet people like you and other folks in the femtech community. So uh, that was just my, my own personal journey. Um, your question was around... Um, Prep can prevent ripping during birth? Tearing, right. Tearing. So that's called um, the perineum is like this, it's like the skin there, mm-hmm. um, just out of the vagina. And that is what tears or rips. Um, and they call those lacerations. Um, and we do believe we'll, will impact that. Um, it was interesting though, in the early days when we were first thinking about prep clinicians actually didn't re- like, we couldn't actually get investment or traction with the concept of reducing tearing because clinicians were like, ah, oh, well, I'll just stitch her up. Oh my gosh. And that makes you mad. Right. Uh-huh. So, the creators of prep and I am not the creator of prep. I am the, um, the biggest fan, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, the prep, and it came out of the Stanford biodesign program. Um, they said, uh, they, they looked deeper into it literally and figuratively and mm-hmm. connected with some of the key opinion leaders around the world to make the connection with the incontinence and prolapse. Mm-hmm. So this is really only measurable with ultrasound. It's the, um, the internal muscles, that we're, that we're really on about. Oh. So yeah, I guess you can stitch up probably 95% of the, the tearing that happens, although f- up to 5% and so- sometimes even higher, it goes into rectal tears, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're living with um, permanent disfigurement and potentially um, life-changing symptoms, right? And like the idea that, oh, I could just stitch her up. I mean, just think about oh my God. if it men, right? Yeah. And 5% of the time, <gasps> Right. Yep. You know I mean? It's yep. just um, the inequity is it's hard to ignore. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so that's prep, and we're excited. And but we've got two more years of clinical trials for prep, probably to finish, especially now with COVID delays. So yeah. And you have a consumer product though too. We do. You know, the funniest thing happened. So while so we got our first clinical trial data back from prep, and we actually reduced pelvic muscle injury by sixty percent. <gasps> Amazing! So exciting. Um, and so while we were waiting to, um, talk to FDA and kind of get our next game in, in game move in play, mm-hmm. our clinicians actually turned to us, like our physicians that were consulting with us on prep 
because it, it's just a simple vaginal dilator and it uses kind of mechanical arms, our intellectual properties around, you know, kind of mechanical arm extension. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, you know what, if you could make that smaller, you could help millions of women who have almost nothing in the way of good options right now. And, um, and so we looked at it and, and we, um, what we learned is that there's a huge group of women. So it's so about 25 million women in the U S alone. Mm-hmm. And this is not a U.S. based pro- problem. I mean, we get, I get inquiries every day from all over the world. When, when can I have it? I live in Ireland. I live in the UK. Yeah. I live in Japan, you know? Um, so this is definitely a global problem, but it's a huge issue that what happens is that women, so one in three women will experience pain during intercourse in her life. You know, it can happen for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. It can be something as simple as, um, you know, cystitis or um, uh, fibromyalgia. It could be endometriosis or cysts. It could be all kinds of mm-hmm. things. Menopause is the number one um, where uh, there's 16 million women in the United States with this problem just for menopause. But for whatever reason, sex starts to hurt yeah. in menopause it gets drier, it gets thinner. And for whatever reason, you know, she might not be able to work it out with her partner and she starts avoiding intercourse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what women do not know, because we're encouraged never to talk about our vaginas, Mm -hmm. is that when you don't have intercourse for any period of time, your vagina starts to shrink. What? It does. It starts to shrink. Oh my God. I love being the host oh, of this podcast. I learned something literally every episode. The listeners are like, does Brittany know anything? Cause every episode I'm like, what? <laughs> I know it's crazy. And, and, you know, I think most women who have it, it's called vaginal atrophy. It's got a lot of other names. Mm. Vulvodynia is pain just on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, vaginismus is basically a catch all term. That's like, it hurts and it's too tight and we don't know why. <laughs> but women don't really like the labels. Yeah. And um, the, the, I think the patient experience is that they don't actually know that there's a size problem. They just know that it hurts. Yeah. I mean, they, why would they think that, <laughs> you know, cause they we're not talking about it. So any idea. yeah. And so, so there's a big education issue there, but you know what? So Millie is essentially, so Millie is our consumer product. Although we are, we do have plans to make it a medical device because we really want the clinical data available mm. to physicians and, and therapists so that they can help patients. I mean, we think that the FDA is a, is there to protect patients mm-hmm. and protect the world from companies that make claims that they have no right to make. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But Millie is just a really simple concept where it's kind of like a wand that goes in the size of your pinky. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very slender. And inside it's got little slender arms that, and it's covered in silicone mm-hmm. so that as it, as she decides, she can expand those, those arms one millimeter at a time. Oh. It's a really simple, simple device. You might ask why it wasn't invented earlier. <laughs> um, the standard of care is actually, I, I was absolutely shocked when I learned about this. So the standard of care are what, what's called vaginal dilators. Um, and they are basically sold in kits. If you look, I mean, you Google them, you can look them. And the, the, the nicest people run these companies. I mean, they're trying to help women. Mm-hmm. But as a tech engineer myself, I think they're an embarrassment to our industry. Like, so the idea is that a woman is supposed to jam different sizes into her vagina when Think about this. She has pain and anxiety on penetration, oh, right? Yeah. Right? This is all a body-bracing response. So mm. you start with, with hearing or pain from whatever. We just call it pelvic pain. Yeah. And and then every time you, you have any kind of penetration, it hurts. Some, some women can't use tampons. Um, and so it's not hard to overcome, but it is a mind-body thing. Yeah. It's a relaxation thing. It's helping. But so to me, the idea of, of giving this kit to a woman who's got this issue, um, to me, is just, I mean, there's like an insult of pain. It's actually, that's one of our advisors said to me yesterday. She, I was meeting with Stephanie Prendergast, who's just the most amazing pelvic pain therapist. And um, she was saying that I was asking why she, she likes Millie you know, and how she sees it being helpful to her patients. She was saying, you know, like when, for patients that go from size to size on these kits, there's a centimeter jump between sizes. So this woman can spend like 10 or 15 minutes in her physical therapy, you know, each day or every other day. 
and she'll get to a size and then it hurts again to go uh, to the next size. It's like all over and again. Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard. And so adherence is, is kind of tough. So there's just so much um, to do in this, in this space. And, um, and, and as I was uh, researching it, I realized that only 20% of OBGYN curriculum at colleges, at, at uh, medical schools involve anything to do with menopause. 20% oh, of OBGYN yeah. teaches about menopause. This is from the AARP. And it's just um, incredible to me that 80% of, of gynecologists don't know what to say to women in menopause. There's 55 million women in menopause in the United States. Yeah. 8,000 every day. Once again, Tracy, I don't know if you've already listened to all our episodes, but you're saying something that other guests have said, which is, you know, it's not the OB-GYN's fault. They literally were just never taught this thing. You know, and unless they're just personally driven to explore it and learn it, like it's not part of the core curriculum, which is where they're supposed to learn about these core issues their patients will have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty terrible. And so uh, what you know, what we want to do is get we've actually published a lot of clinical data already. And we've got a, a new publication coming out that not, it's not us, it's our scientific advisors and um, mm-hmm. clinicians who've used Millie, but they, they're, we're really excited. It'll be the first and most uh, thorough um, analysis of dilators uh, mm-hmm. to, to hit the market. And that, and that is really helpful for clinicians. We have a waiting list of over 200 clinician offices that want to have a, a Millie demo wow. and, you know, promo codes and, and all the things to help their patients with. And we just, we're a small company and we're, mm-hmm. we're raising money. We finally have, we've raised enough money that we can get those demo units to them. Yeah. And we're launching that this summer. I'm super excited about so, it. So Millie is going to be available to the public this summer. Is that the Millie's time? already available direct to consumer. Oh, perfect. We, Good. Yeah. But we were hand to mouth keeping up with demand all last year. Yeah. Um, we raised, uh, we raised a couple million dollars last year and got a couple million dollar grant from the NIH. So to run our, our prep trials. So mm-hmm. super awesome validation of the technology, but we're, um, what that made possible is getting ahead of inventory and we were able to, and we're so lucky to have a supply chain in Taiwan that was uninterrupted with the whole COVID thing. Mm. So we've been able to, um, just kind of stay with it and, um, we've got enough inventory now to begin sending these welcome packages out to clinicians and, uh, we're just really excited. We launched our new website, uh, two days ago. So this mm. is all very fresh and exciting at millieforher.com. Millie for her. Amazing. We'll definitely yeah. tag it. Do you, you have any feedback from women um, yet that have been using Millie? Yeah, you know, our first like 300 patients, fill, uh, well, probably we had 300 patients in our first like 600. So it was a big mm-hmm. cohort that volunteered to um, submit fairly long form surveys, like 60 questions, lots of details. So we know a lot about what like what, what brought them to Millie. Mm-hmm. Um some of the fascinating things and sad uh, things on average, they've been suffering for more than five years. Mm. They've seen on average three clinicians that can't help them. And then they find Millie and they're like, they say things like, Oh, static dilators just never made any sense to me. They were scary. They were intimidating. Um, And with Millie, I feel like I can, I can do this. Yeah. But one of the really interesting things we asked, we asked patients to, to describe their emotions when they were using Millie yeah. and they used words like optimistic and hopeful mm. and uh, like over 80% of the time. Tracy, Where you're I, making a big impact. Huge for such a mind body thing. Right. And then when they talk about emotions that they have using static dilators, they use words like frustrated mm. and ashamed. Yeah embarrassed and we just I, we're all about normalizing the conversation and making women feel like this is first of all the thing that makes me angry is they all think they're the only ones yeah they all think that they've got this fringy weird thing and meanwhile it's five times as common as erectile dysfunction oh oh the, the way, <laughs> i can't right? i just the i can't of sad energy like <laughs> If I can make one wish, I just want them to know that they're not alone and this is no big deal. On average, they um, 86% recover and are able to return to intercourse in six months. Oh, my God. Yes. 
published data. I'm not saying I'm not, you know, talking out of school. That's all been published. And mm-hmm. and it's just incredible to me that that healing is so close, but they've been suffering for so long. Yeah. And it's so hard to find, right? And it, it reminds me of the tagline I always am using, which is if you improve women's health and wellness, you improve everyone's health and wellness because that woman who is in pain, avoiding sex, you know, her relationship is hurting, right? And Absolutely. maybe she's feeling bad about herself um, and her femininity. And maybe she's not showing up as strongly at work or at the boardroom, you know, and maybe she's not, you know, as attentive to her kids because she's up in her head thinking about why am I broken? What's wrong with me? I just saw my third doctor today and they still don't know what's wrong with me. I must be just totally alone and totally defective, right? But if we were able to empower her with this Millie product, you know, she could just purchase it online, right? Yeah, she can yep. buy it herself. She purchases it mm-hmm. online, you know, and then it's like, you know, at her own pace. So there's no rush. There's no like fix it, you know, at her own pace. Mm-hmm. She's able to, you know, relax that pelvic floor, re-engage with her partner, become more present, feel more empowered, you know. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it's, it's really great that it's a simple and easy solution, uh, you know, but it's so sad that it's so, it's still so hidden. There's a lot of work to do just to help women understand. But, but I think that, um, so we when we launched our website this past week, we had this idea to do a countdown. I've never done this before. And mm-hmm. I, I, it was, I had this idea and I just thought it was so cool. I just said yes and went with it. And, mm-hmm. um, I was so inspired. There's a video of me talking about it because, um, I was, I went last my video was the last one to launch, but by the, so by the time I did mine, I, I had, I had seen, we had people. Um, so some of our clinicians donated signed copies of their books and we had other clinicians donate, um, Q and a sessions. Mm-hmm. So, um, getting the, the word out, um, and helping women just kind of understand what's going on for them. And then Shelby Haddon, who, if you haven't seen the movie tightly wound, definitely Google it. She's an absolutely incredible creator. She, she went through vaginismus herself and, um, through her experience, she just was so frustrated and she, she shared her story and made it public and then made a movie about it. Um, and it's a short, it's a short film. So I highly recommend it tightly wound. Um, and so she's, she gave a a Q and a session with herself. and, And what we found was that we had this huge embrace. We had hundreds of likes and shares and followers within just a week. And um, I think that the word is beginning to get out. I think women are kind of tired of of having everything be hidden. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> yeah, I am so, <laughs> so grateful for that because it's it's about time. It's about time. And, you know, I think the rise in femtech, um, and I don't have any statistics on this, so no one quote me, but this is my gut feeling is that, like, Women are becoming more empowered in their, you know, workforce, financially, you know, um, and hopefully totally in politics. Some countries much better than ours. But regardless, um, you know, (laughs) women are becoming more empowered and they start to question, like, I don't feel well and I don't like it and I want to do something about it. They realize there's nothing for it. And I I see a lot of femtech founders solving their own problems, right? Because they're just like, well, I'm fed up with this. Like, that's not going to happen anymore, you know? And, you know, um, so I think there's this whole empowerment movement for women. And then now we're starting to talk about this stuff. Yeah, thank goodness, huh? I think that I think the Me Too movement was the beginning. Mm. I, I really do. I, I'm not... It, what am I talking about? Right. I mean, suffragettes, you know, 150 years ago, Yeah, right. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the women's movement started a long time ago, but I, I feel like we went through a little bit of a sleepy time mm. for a couple of decades um, and lost some momentum. And my mom was a feminist and brought me to ERA movement, mm. you know, um, uh, what do they call it? protests and things yeah. like that. Right. Um, and then I don't know what, you know, there's some really cool, uh, there's a, there's a cool documentary on uh, Netflix called feminists. What were they thinking? Oh. Definitely recommend that. See, it, it gives my mom's generation a chance to speak their truth about what, what life was like in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And when they were going through all that, mm-hmm. um, and then you see that there really was a fairly well, um, funded, uh, uh, protest against feminism. I mean, young mm. women are starting to use the word again, but it be, fell out of fashion for about 20 years. Like saying you were a feminist, people would, would say, would yeah. be like, Oh, you hate men. 
Yeah. It's like synonymous hating men. I really feel like that the Me Too movement broke that back open yep. and made the, the F word uh, a safe word again. Yes, yes. Well, that reminds me of, um, I follow this group called Ladies Get Paid. Badass group. You should totally check it out, listeners. Ladies Get Paid. And it's a group of women. I'm pretty sure they started in New York City. And they were just fed up with women not being uh, paid equally to their male counterparts. And women not talking about money on the golf course. Women don't naturally just talk about money. You know, we talk about our families, Mm -hmm. or we talk about friends, or whatever. But this group tries to empower women to talk about money so that we can get more money, you know, and they were, they were actually sued by men for discrimination. And they went through this huge lawsuit and they came out victorious and now they're bigger and stronger than ever. And they have chapters around the nation. But like, when I think about that, I'm like, Oh my, my goodness. Um, Mm -hmm. What was your experience like pitching Millie and Prep to investors? Um, how has that experience been like? Well, generally, it's been really fun, honestly. Um, I'm and I'm not a I'm not a you know pavement pounder like get up on the stage and pitch yeah. like really what I wanted to be when I grow up, but I I do it because the company needs it and, mm-hmm. and I'm really passionate about what we do. Um, and so I try to just relax and have fun with it. Um, it's been interesting because like when I, my, up until now, like I said, I never really got to work in, in femtech. And so when I was pitching things like orthopedics, you know, everybody's got hips and knees. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of hears that the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, I think the big difference now is when I, when I talk to women, the big difference is that they, uh, they, th- they find this an obvious market. Mm-hmm. Like they all know. For the most part, mm-hmm. just by virtue of the incidence rates, I mean, just think about, uh, you know, a woman in her forties and fifties, like there's no way she doesn't know someone who has told her that there's an incontinence problem yeah. or that she didn't, doesn't have it herself. She had yeah. four kids or whatever. Right. So she knows that's mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, pelvic pain and, and sex. We, I've had, an, I've had investors say to me, Oh yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, um, have the, the response like, really? Oh, I didn't know that was a, is that a thing? How could, and, and so the big thing is like, they're looking at the size of the market. I mean, it's a $10 billion market in the U S alone. Yep. And they've never heard of it. Yep. That's the hard part for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but I would say probably 90 plus percent of our investors are men and they're lovely men. They're mm-hmm. men who care. And, and I think, and there's generations, uh, there's, I mean, I have one investor who, um, celebrated his 55th wedding anniversary with his wife. And he said to me, and he was emotional when he said it, I, I know she has problems, but I never, but we never spoke about it. We, we have four children and, um, you know, it, it's just lovely to see that men do, really do care. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. So, um, it's been, it's been a pleasure for me to, to, to bring this out to the world. Some of our other um, guests that have also been founders have said when they pitch their you know product to investors, they got the reaction of "Isn't this solved already?" or "How many competitors do you have?" And they, the founder, having to be like, "I know it's a terrible answer, but we don't really have any competitors <laughs> because yeah, there's literally yeah. nothing out there." Um, do yeah, you believe that answer? How could that possibly yeah, be true? Yeah. So, what do you, did you get that response where they were like, "Wait, this isn't fixed," or um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, it doesn't take long to research, especially prep. I mean, Millie does have these competitors with mm. the, with the static dilators. Uh-huh. So, um, when they look into that, I mean, the, like the, the issue with Millie is like men have no idea how often women find pain, sex painful. Yeah. I've actually ha- heard one woman say, um, <laughs> this was, I, I just, I'm sorry. It's just amazing to me, but she basically said something along the lines of, it would take longer for me to tell him it hurts than it does to t- just let him finish. <gasps> oh my God. Yep. Yeah. So many layers of sad in there, right? So many layers. So men don't realize that it hurts and women just sort of are like, I think there's a lot of women who just sort of grin and bear it or whatever. And so, so with Millie, it's, it's trying to get people to believe mm-hmm. that, it's a, that it's an issue. And then also, um, I think that the, the, the thing that I, I guess has made me sad, and, and I guess if I could put this out to the femtech listeners, 
men doubt whether women will pay for their own lives, their own intimate lives. Yeah. Men are like, Oh, we'll totally open the wallet for the, for Millie, for our wives. Like if, if Millie can help me have more sex with my wife, I'll pay for it. Yeah. I've heard, heard men say that. And they, but then male investors do doubt whether women, women would pay for their own joy. And I, I believe that women will, but there's a long way to go to, mm-hmm. um, to really make that. Okay. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on a podcast with, with other femtech leaders um, to to get the word out. Yeah. I mean, we just uh, launched an episode this week, actually, um, from Amina in Tokyo. We talked about femtech in Asia. So, I mean, we got listeners all over the world. Um, uh, What is like the future for Materna Medical? I actually just got chills when you said that. It's Mm -hmm. so exciting. Um, I mean, we're following the energy, right? We're seeing where there's really deeply unmet needs and we're, we're just going there. Um, so it's so exciting to see as we've been able to get our message out more, all of these people are reaching out to connect with us, these clinicians that, I mean, we, you know, it's a lot where I'm starting to, to think about our clinician channel, um, differently than I did in the Mm. beginning, because, you know, with the, with the stats of, the lack of education, you know, mm-hmm. it would be easy to be pessimistic. Well, I don't know if clinicians are really going to get this, but they definitely do. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. a big need. I mean, pe- women are beginning to talk about their problems with clinicians and then clinicians are out there Googling and they find us. So I think that we'll be expanding, um, trying to, trying to get Millie to other countries. Uh, there's a big ask there. Yeah. Um, Amina and I were talking about it mm-hmm. um, in terms of like what would it take to get Millie to, to Japan? I don't know, but I'm, I'm on, I'm on the trail. <laughs> um, and our, our prep clinical trial will be over and, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen with COVID, but we're, we are talking about reopening our clinical trial and might be able to be done in a year or two. Yep. And in that case, you know, prep could be available to, to moms, you know, two or three years, three years, maybe. Yeah. Not soon enough. Nice. We get, we get asked all the time. Can, can I just have one off the market? <laughs> Come on, Tracy, we're friends. Give me one. <laughs> I'm a baby. Can I have one? Um, you know, we can't do that. No, no, um, no. So no. <laughs> we really want, want to be able to get this to, to market as quickly as possible. So yeah. it's oh. Man, so exciting. I have some ideas. I want to just like, like, let's pretend this is a whiteboard meeting real quick. Cause yeah, I like, yeah. I, I realize I keep doing this now, I guess it's so fun for me. Um, what do you think about like a, a femtech university where we start to infuse like women's health curriculum material into different things? So what I'm thinking here is like, how do we get the thing like sexual dysfunction and menopause and painful sex curriculum into OBGYN, you know, courses, and then like bioengineering, like engineering for the vagina, like how do we infuse these types of curriculums into different degrees? What do you think about that? I think it's deeply needed. I think it's a, I did an interview with um, Dr. Anila Jayasriya, um, who is a MD and an investor and she his her whole work is really around the lack of clinical research mm-hmm. for women's health. I mean, and she pointed out in my interview with her that the Y chromosome and the X chromosome are, don't behave the same. And so you do genetic research on just men's chromosomes. Yes. And you're missing a lot in that, you know, so if you think about everything that's going on with genomics, yep. it's missing a big swath. Yeah. Right. Um, women weren't allowed to be involved in uh, clinical trials until long after you would imagine. Um, I'm thinking of the date, but I want to say it was like in the 90s. Wow. Well, a lot of clinical research just didn't even include women. And uh, only in 2016 were, were, was the NIH required to include women in clinical research, like uh, it, female cells, like female mice cells, stuff like that, where, you know, there's just a lot to do there. Um, we're pretty far behind, yeah. I mean, decades behind where we should be. And um, so I, I think that that's important. And I think a university to bring that along. I mean, the way, the way doctors talk about education of women's health in university, I'm sorry, in med school is that women's health is kind of a skinny chapter at the back, mm. right? So, Changing that so it's fifty percent would really be the goal, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. That women are not little men. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. All right. I have another question, another idea I want to pitch to you. And um, well, I guess it's not an idea. It's a, it's a question. Um, you know, as Femtech Focus tries to bring together the Femtech leaders from around the world, we have representation from several countries in Europe. Um, we have found partners in Asia, Australia, um, but we um, haven't found anyone in Africa yet to partner with, although we do know there's a lot of social impact organizations helping like menstrual hygiene and stuff. But we have literally heard nothing from Latin America, Central and Southern America. Have you heard of any femtech traction or organizations there? Yeah, yes, um, a little bit. Uh, when we go to conferences like the North American Menopause Society Conference mm-hmm. and, and the, the Public Pain International Public Pain Society, um, those kinds of conferences, we we see people from all over the world, and it seems to me that Colombia has a very strong medical population. Um, and, and we, so we do see there are some countries in Latin America that are very interested. Yeah. Um, I could, I could take it as an action item to, <laughs> to, to look and see if we can yeah. find the connect there. Just right? brainstorming on record, <laughs> you know, yeah. cause yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, they're, they're definitely, these, these are international issues. Yes. The vaginas are all over. They're everywhere. <laughs> like <laughs> they're all over. You know, exactly. Um, well, yeah. you know, some of our listeners are aspiring entrepreneurs. They want to get into femtech. They don't know what to innovate. What are some areas that you think really need uh, innovation? Oh, well, I'll make a recommendation, a book recommendation called Everything Below the Waist, mm. Why Healthcare Needs a Feminist Revolution. <laughs> Everything Below the Waist. It's a great book. It's a sort of sobering read. Um, I think the thing that jumped out at me in that book was uh, the two things. I was shocked to learn how little anyone understands about endometriosis. Mm-hmm. And if I could pick a place where I would probably work next I would probably go there. Yeah, um, it's incredibly common and utterly misunderstood. Yep. It's actually most folks lately think it's an autoimmune disease that they have found lesions, endometrial lesions in women's brains, yes. in women's lungs, not just a uterus thing. Yeah, right. While you know hysterectomies are, I don't, I can't remember the stats, but they're shocking. Yeah, how women's uteruses just get cut out. Yep. Yeah, we had um Joe we had Joe Connolly from Vasana Health on here a few episodes ago and he's he has a like an app to help you track 12 weeks of your symptoms and then by the end of the 12 weeks you get like a report to see like if you might have endometriosis you should see a doctor. Oh, Here's a list of people who recommend it, right? But he just started, uh, yeah. right? He just started and when I interviewed him and I was talk we were talking about the biology of endometriosis wouldn't you know, my mother listened to that episode and she messages me and she says, Britt, I'm pretty sure I had endometriosis my whole life. Like everything he described is like what I lived through. Like she's, she's, uh, we also had a discussion about menopause. She's gone through that, you know, but, uh, you know, it's like, here's my, here's my mother who went her whole life told like, well, you just have heavy flow, deal with it, you know? And it's like, right. wow, wow. Yeah, right. she never questioned right. it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of work to do. That's exciting. And there's some really great companies working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, um, I, I, yeah, lots to say there. The other piece that I think is really interesting are companies like Keg, helping work on fertility. Yes. Um, if you know Christina, um, she's, I love her work and I love her style. Um, the CEO of Keg, and, and I think that um, looking at alternatives to to hormonal birth control for women mm-hmm. is a very interesting area. How quickly I, you know, took it for granted. Of course, I'll just go on hormones for the rest of my life. Can mm-hmm. you imagine putting all boys on hormonal therapy from the time they're like thirteen, like no questions asked, no long term studies. And, and, oh and women just sort of do it. Like, you know, we just give it to our daughters and off we go. Yeah. From 13 to 55, you're on birth control hormone. And then 55 and older, you're on estrogen hormone because you're in menopause. Right. It's right. like, there's nothing really upsetting mm. about the whole hypothesis underneath there, yeah. which is basically like, 
it's totally okay to, to mess with women's biology and chemistry, but we would never do that to men. Can you imagine putting ma- men on hormone <laughs> therapy? Can you imagine? Uh, especially not with all the symptoms that yeah. hormones provide us. Yeah. yeah. Oh, anyway. I love it. It's I upsetting. Love it. So endometriosis. I love the work that people are doing on those men's. Yeah. So endometriosis and non-hormonal birth control. And then, you know, femtech is an industry. What do you think we need the most right now to be successful as an industry? I see a world someday where it's not an industry, Mm. where it's half of healthcare. Yes. You know, really where we're going. It might take a hundred years. I hope it doesn't take longer than that. Yes. Right. For I don't I mean things are changing so fast um that I think the momentum that we're building helping girls get into STEM mm-hmm. right as a, as an I mean, I was absolutely told by my guidance counselor, "Oh, you'll never get into engineering school." Wow. You're a girl. Mm-hmm. I was told by so many people along the way that it was never going to work. How could I possibly get an engineering degree? Mm. You know, and it was like no big deal. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal, but it wasn't a, I mean, didn't all of that stuff just galvanized me. But I think about girls that don't have a strong mother the way I did, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That maybe don't come up from a family that values education the way my family did. Mm-hmm. My parents were both social worker, you know, educator types. There were no STEM people in my family. Mm-hmm. They definitely thought I was weird. <laughs> but they were like, okay, well, you must be an engineer. No. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but there's so many girls that get told no and believe it. Yeah. And so those kinds of things, I think, as that stuff breaks down mm-hmm. and more and more, I mean, there's more women in medical school now than men. Yep. Yeah. You know, you know, as those doctors go through the pipeline and become the majority of clinicians, um, there's more women like you, investors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm an, an angel investor too. And and it as more women choose to take their money and invest in other thing, other people mm-hmm. instead of maybe actually there's data to show that women are three times more likely to be in poverty in old age. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but, but uh, one of them for sure is that women are more conservative investors. They keep their money mm-hmm. in cash, right? So teaching women to invest um, and, and empowering them to do that with their money uh, and, you know, you see all these amazing organizations like Portfolia and mm-hmm. Golden Seeds and, and other femtech funds. It's that piece, I think, is going to be really pivotal. So, yeah, no, I love my two I love that, you know, you hope that femtech actually is in its own industry. It just becomes half of healthcare. I absolutely love that because <laughs> at Femtech Focus, we're actually working right now on building um, an investor database for femtech investors. And um, well, it's for startups, but it's of femtech investors. And, you know, someone said, but Brit, there's only two. There's Fermata in Tokyo and femtech um, uh, portfolio. And I said, that's only the two that have the name in it. There are many, 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 many investors that are consumer product investors, healthcare investors, medical mm-hmm. device investors. They don't know that they're femtech investors. Mm-hmm. They've never said it. But they are because they look for right. products with big market sizes, a big market need, and that fits their industry, med device, health IT, whatever, consumer product. But um, they've just never identified as femtech. And if we can identify it, we can actually show like there's hundreds, thousands of these investors. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, I think sort of just exposing the unconscious bias mm. there gives people choice. Right. It doesn't mean that I necessarily have a great business plan that you should invest in just because you're a woman and I'm a woman. Yeah. Right. But but raising raising awareness about the unconscious bias, I think hopefully should help men, too, that, you know, I think the the Harvard, Harvard Business Review published some data that I think women are women CEOs like myself are twice as likely to get funded by a venture firm if there's one woman on the venture team twice as likely. And, you know, I think that's really, um, I, I don't, I, I try not to think about stuff like that because yeah. it just messes with my head, <laughs> but, but I interesting for it. It's something that venture should look at, Yeah. right? How many amazing breakthrough business models did they not really thoroughly think about? Yep. Right. They miss, you know, one that comes to mind is Envision. 
that sold for $275 million to mm-hmm. Boston Scientific mm-hmm. with CEO Serby. And she um, she was also a CEO at Fogarty Institute, where my company is a company in residence. And, um, you know, she was working on ovarian cancer detection and um, was really, you know, she, I won't tell her story for her, but I mean, it's a great tech investment story, but there were a lot of guys who missed out on that investment. Yep. People who invested in very well. I'm really excited to ignite the investment community using FOMO. <laughs> exactly. I want to miss out on all these amazing opportunities. Yeah. 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 Tracy, this. Their hearts out. <laughs> yes. Well, Tracy, this has been so much fun. I am so happy to call you a friend, and I'm so glad we got you on the podcast. And you I know, know that we pleasure. will talk soon and we'll definitely link uh, Millie up in our description. Um, and if any ladies out there are feeling some pain or feel alone and doctors don't know what to tell you, this, this product may be your solution. Yeah, please reach out. Happy to connect you. If, if ours isn't the right product, product, we are starting to build this incredible network. It's so exciting. Thank you so much. Keep up the amazing work. Thanks, Tracy. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to my interview with Tracy McNeil, CEO of Materna Medical. You can check out their products at maternamedical.com. Millie is available at millieforher.com. And you are not alone. If you are experiencing pain during sex, aka vaginal atrophy, there is a solution for you. You are not alone. That's what Tracy's biggest wish was for all the women around the world, that you are not alone and that this is a pervasive issue, but it is solvable through products like Millie. And, you know, listeners, I want to hear back from you about what Tracy and I spoke about concerning the Femtech University and curriculum infusion. What do you think about us infusing women's health and wellness studies into different types of degrees across universities? What do you think about that? Good idea? Bad idea? How do we do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to help us do it? And also, if you're in Latin America or you know of organizations working on women's health and wellness in Latin America, Central and, and South America, please reach out to us. We want to connect with you. We want to partner with you. We want, we want stories from that region of the world. There's a lot of women there too. <laughs> so please reach out to us, connect us, work with us. This podcast, although I really, really enjoy hosting it, it's, it's for all of us. So hit us up on social media at Femtech Focus. You can also go to our website, femtechfocus.com. Shoot us a DM, support the podcast by sharing it with a friend, subscribe, rate, and review it. And until next time, keep innovating in women's health and wellness, because when you prove that, you prove and you improve everyone's health and wellness.